So we're picking up the story of Ruth, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, from where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Just a real quick recap. This book, those first verses, the first five verses of the book start out with a very bad choice, if you remember. Elimelech moves his family to Moab. Elimelech did what husbands and fathers should never do. He put the spiritual life of his family second. You know, men seem to have a natural instinct to provide, to be providers. Elimelech was living in a time of economic downturn, the likes of which we couldn't even imagine. There was a famine. He couldn't put food on the table. Humanly speaking, his choice to move to Moab for work, for food, humanly speaking, it made sense. But what he was doing in this particular period of the history of God's people, he was leaving the church. He was leaving the people of God. He was leaving the land of promise. He was leaving the promises of God behind him. He, he was doing what the rest of Israel was doing in that very dark time of God's people. The history of the judges, this is in the judges. He was doing what the rest of them were doing, what was right in his eyes, rather than what was right in God's eyes. He moved to Moab and he died there, which is very ironic. He moved so that he and his family would live, so they'd have life and food, but... He died. His sons later on marry Moabite women. Another result of the poor decision he made for his family. Children will marry from among the people that are in front of them. They married people who were of Moab. People who worshipped false gods. And then they died. Now, where we're at is just Naomi and her daughters-in-law. We left off last time, verses 6 and 7, where we saw Naomi making a decision to go back to Israel. Now, there were some bad choices earlier on. This was a good decision. There's still hope for Naomi despite what had happened up until then. And what we, we see is that then, and now for us, God's grace is the amazing and the great X factor on the road of the life of God's people. Where, wherever we find ourselves, for God's people, wherever we find ourselves, because of the circumstances of life going on or because of our own foolish decisions, God's grace is always the great X factor. God's grace shines through. He meets us on the road of our lives. In fact, Jesus came that first Christmas in the very town they were headed to, to accomplish salvation, to get us on the right road again, to get us going the right way. We have a sad scene here with these three women on the road. They're pretty hopeless. They're basic, they were basically without rights in those days. But you see, Naomi was going back because she knew there was at least some hope for her and these girls in God's country, in Israel. Unlike the surrounding nations, the law of God made provision for those in need, the poor, the widow. God's way 
is and was always is for those who are in need. And that's to be the way of his people too. So they set out in verse 7. Presumably they don't get too far and they stop to have a conversation. They've got to stop and talk about this. And we're going to get more conversations throughout this book. Just over 50% of the book is dialogue. Why? Well, the main characters are women. Guys are always like, why does she always want to talk? Well, look, it's biblical. I mean, so talk with her, guys. Listen. Stop and have conversations. Naomi has thought about this. And what does she do? She encourages her daughters-in-law to go back to their own home. They would have been young yet, probably in their 20s, if they married in their teens, like most women of that day. See, Naomi is thinking for them, they could still marry again, have a husband, have a family. They go on with their lives. She, she, she kissed them. They wept. They say they want to stay with her. This is another little aside here. You know, we make all kinds of jokes today about in-laws, and, and we just assume that there are all these tensions in those sorts of relationships. But, but here, isn't this amazing? She calls them her daughters, and this, this beautiful picture of two daughters-in-law, a mother-in-law who truly love and, and care for one another in an amazing ways. Very beautiful. Verse 11 They say they want to stay. She presses on with her thought, saying they should stay in Moab. And and she says, did you catch that kind of odd thing here about even if tonight I get a husband and I'm going to have another? What what she's doing here in verse 11 of following, she's referring to an Israelite law. And we'll get more of this, more into this as the book goes on. But the nearest of kin was to marry the wife if a husband died to carry on the family name of that brother. And, and that's, in most of the time, it would be a brother. And that's why Naomi's talking about having more children. And, and of course, she describes a ridiculous scenario. Now, back in Israel, it would be back in Israel, the next closest relation should marry them. Um, but maybe she, there are none, or she's thinking... This just isn't going to happen. Not only am I not going to, I'm not going to have more children that they can marry, but Ruth, uh, Orpah, they're Moabitesses. The chances are that someone back in Israel is not going to take up their responsibility to marry. They're foreigners. They're outsiders. So, and then verse 13, Naomi talks more about the Lord's hand has gone against her. More of that later. Then they weep again. It's just this very emotional scene. Orpah is convinced. Orpah. I think we should just call her Oprah. Come on. It flows off the tongue a lot better. Oprah leaves. Basically, she makes the same kind of choice that Elimelech did earlier. And Naomi, to go back to Moab, that's the sensible choice. And she may very well have gone on to get married and have children but she was going back to the gods of Moab. It would be, in the end, a dead-end road and decision. She was seeking earthly security. Orpah made her choice. 
But then Ruth makes a very different choice, doesn't she? We read that Ruth clung to Naomi. That's the same word in Genesis 2 to refer to the marriage bond. That's how strong it is. Then, then we read this amazing speech from Ruth. And, and the more you read these words and get into them and think about them, the more amazing they become. This choice means that she would leave her own family and country. It means, as far as she knows at this point, even though she's in her 20s and could marry again there, if she goes back to Israel, it means, as far as she knows, a life of widowhood and childlessness because Naomi has no man to give. And if she married a non-relative, that she would lose her commitment to Naomi's family, and she doesn't want to do that out of her commitment to Naomi. It means going to an unknown land, new people, new customs. It was a radical commitment where you die, I will die and be buried. In other words, she will never return home, not even if Naomi dies. But the most amazing commitment of all is your God will be my God. And maybe she had made this commitment years ago in her heart when her husband or Naomi herself told her about the God of Israel, his power at the Red Sea, his covenant promises. Now, the rubber is really hitting the road, and she's making a stand herself to follow him. Ever puzzle you why Naomi recommends in the first place going back to these false gods? One, we, don't, we don't know for sure what was going on in her mind, but, but I suspect, and I, I wonder, you know, you could say, hey, she was sort of not thinking, she was sort of thinking in an earthly way, but, but I, I suspect, I wonder, I suspect myself that, that she did not want to force Ruth and Orpah into making a choice for God. They were adults, they were big girls. You know, in life, we don't force people to make decisions. It's kind of belittling to do to someone, you know, for, for, for a parent to force decisions down the throats of the children. People don't respond well to that. It could, in fact, drive them away. No, we respect people enough, and we have faith in God's covenant and the teaching and the discipleship we've done that we give guidance and help and support in decision-making. But ultimately, people, children, anybody are responsible for the way they go. Naomi didn't want these girls to come for her, but for them, because they wanted to, because they knew it was the right thing to do. We often face crossroads in life. Ruth is literally at a crossroads, and she takes a tremendous step of faith, going to a foreign country, no husband, no home, no friends, no job, no food. You look ahead and you see at the end of this chapter, about verse 19, how she is not even acknowledged when Naomi and Ruth arrive at Bethlehem. They don't even acknowledge her. That's because she was a foreigner. She was an outsider. And Ruth knew that that's what she was facing. Ruth would have expected that as a Moabite. 
In other words, she knew what this commitment would mean. And yet, she makes it. We talk about the great faith of Abraham in the Bible. He left his homeland and his family and his religion to start over and serve God. Ruth's story is very similar to Abraham's, isn't it? Only, I think her step of faith might have been even greater and bigger than even Abraham's. She is doing all the same things Abraham did, but there's one big exception. You know something that doesn't happen? Abraham had God speak to him and talk to him. And then Abraham obeyed, which was a step of faith, certainly. But Ruth didn't have God speak to her. She didn't even have the word of God, yet she puts her faith and her trust in God's sovereignty and his goodness and his promises, and she believes that God will care for her. This incredible step of faith, it's similar to the one at the end of Joshua, where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and all of Israel followed, except the difference there is she is doing it alone. Without the support of God's people all around her in a big revival meeting, as a single young woman, a widow who has nothing, she does this. But she has some sense of who God is and that he can be trusted And she believes that against all odds, he will provide. And of course, as the story goes on, we'll see just how much he does provide in ways that Ruth could never have imagined. God blesses the choice, the act of faith that this young woman puts in him, as God always blesses his people when they follow him and give him their lives. After her big speech through verse 17, the rest of the verses focus on another woman of faith, Naomi. Also a woman of faith, taking a step of faith by going back to Israel, but she's in a very different place than young, hopeful, exuberant Ruth. Look at verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. That's her response to Ruth's Ruth's speech. And she stopped urging her doesn't do justice to the meaning of those words. A better translation would be, Naomi said nothing. It's that can't think of the right word, but it's that, it's that harsh. It's not that she just stopped urging her. The Bible says that Naomi said nothing in response. Ruth gives this amazing speech, takes the step of faith, chooses for the Lord, and really, Naomi says nothing. I mean, <clears throat> we take this speech, we frame it, right, and we display it prominently in our homes, These words are used in marriage vows. And Naomi has nothing to say. And then it gives you a clue what's going on inside her heart. As as it goes on, 
The people from town say, can this be Naomi? She's older now. It's like they didn't, couldn't recognize her, but it's more than that she's older. I think it's that life has beat her down. They don't even recognize this weathered widow, Naomi. And then no, Naomi doesn't say, yeah, it's been tough, but you know, God has watched over me. I'm alive to this day. God is in control. God is good all the time, even though it's been rough. No. She doesn't say any of that, does she? She says, don't call me Naomi, and that word means pleasant, but Mara, which means bitter. I left full but came back empty. She seems kind of angry and and resentful. She's bitter. I mean, what's going on with this in her? Naomi, you're supposed to not be bitter. You have God and his promises. Chin up. Or, Or we might think, hey, why do you seem so resentful toward God when, after all, you know, this was a result of some of your own mistakes and choices moving to Moab, staying there? We could be very hard on Naomi, but I don't think we should be. I think Naomi finds herself in a situation like God's people often find themselves. And Naomi finds herself feeling like God's people actually often do. There are times when we're not happy with him. Why, Lord, did you allow this? Why, Lord, didn't you answer my prayer? Why didn't you, Lord, do the things the way I wanted you to do them? The thing with Naomi is that she's honest. Because how many of us, when we're ticked off or frustrated, we do one of two things. One, either when people in church say, how are you? We're like, I'm fine. How are things going? Great. When that's not how we're feeling. We're actually feeling really down. We're we're bitter. We're maybe even angry. There, there are times when we believe in God, and I believe Naomi obviously believes in God. There are times, too, when we believe in God, but we're just not so pleased with him right now. And then, and then, then we kind of fake it. We hide it. Or, you know, some people, when they get bitter and angry for whatever in life, you know, they just, they just kind of leave the church and leave God's people. They bail. Naomi doesn't do those things at all. She goes home to God's people, and that's important. She goes to God's people even in her state of sadness and bitterness, and she's not a fake. She's totally honest. She comes with honesty to fellow believers in the Lord, and she says, you know what? My life has been hard. You know what? My life sucks right now. And we're like, oh my, I can't believe she said that. I can't believe she's acting all bitter and angry. We're not supposed to do that. But deep down, we sometimes feel that way too. We feel like Naomi. But we don't dare say it or express it. Ruth's on a mountain peak of faith. Naomi is in the pits. Both are children of God, aren't they? Both are still taking steps of faith with God's help, even if one is kind of skipping her way to the promised land and 
The other is just dragging. A pastor who once preached on this chapter talks about John Flavel, a Puritan who lived in the 1600s. Flavel writes in a a great book on providence he has about something called sanctified affliction for a child of God. Sanctified affliction. Children of God, believers, can and do have affliction. Hard times in their life, but it's sanctified. It's sanctified. God is in control. He is sovereign over this world and our lives. That's what providence means. Sanctified affliction means that suffering serves a purpose in the life of a believer. Sickness, poverty, hardship, death of someone close to you, whatever it is, it's an affliction that God will use to make us more into the people he wants us to be, more sanctified. It means more holy. That he'll use to make us more like Jesus, that, that will make us listen and obey God's word better, that, that will make us more loving and caring towards those around us and those in need, that will equip us to serve our God with more passion and vigor in our everyday life. God's, God's people, you and I, we don't, We don't have all of the questions answered in our life. Naomi didn't have that. But in every situation, we can know that God is in control and that God is good. And we can ask, how are you using this in my life, Lord, to sanctify me? The fact is, and I I want you to hear this, and I hope and pray that you know this and experience. There are no tears There are no struggles that have no purpose for you as a child of God. There are no tears, there are no struggles that have no purpose for you, children of God. Ruth is full of optimism and hope. Naomi, honest and bitter. Naomi, God is leading both. He is providing. God is leading them on the road he has for them. He is sovereignly working in both their hearts to make these right choices, to take steps of faith that will bring them closer to himself. And he's doing the same thing in your heart and your life today. Whether, whether you're someone who, uh, who, who gets all chipper and excited with the lights and the Christmas stuff and the, the carols, or whether you're depressed or whether you're in sorrow, or whether you're somewhere in between those extremes. We read in verse 22, it's kind of the the narrator of the book giving a little summary of where things are at. We read, they return from Moab. God's taken them home. They arrived in Bethlehem. They arrived in Bethlehem. We know where this is all going. And it's going to be good. Jesus will be born there. We talked about sanctified affliction. And that's God's providence in your life. God's providence, his sovereignty, his care, it extends to all of history. In the midst of the dark times in Ruth and Naomi's life and their suffering. And think about this, in the midst 
of one of the darkest times ever in the history of God's people, the time of the judges, when everyone was doing what was right in their eyes, even in those times, God is at work. God's present. God has a plan, a good plan. He's preparing to save his people from their sins. And we're going to see how Ruth and Naomi are going to be used in uh, amazing ways in that plan going forward. It's a God-ordained plan and mission that will bring salvation for them, for the world. We read, too, at the very end, and we'll get into this more next week, uh, that it's the beginning of the barley harvest. That's a sign, that's a pointer of hope. The famine in the land is over, and we're going to see that God's providential hand has brought a whole new season in Israel and in the lives of his children, Ruth and Naomi. And he can and he does do that in the lives of his people today too, in your life because of Jesus. Look to him. Look to him. However you're feeling, whatever you're going through, trust in his leading and care and take those steps of faith in your life one at a time, the small, difficult steps and the great, exciting steps toward the Lord according to his ways, doing it among his people. Amen.